Welcome to The Dream Show. I'm Jane Teresa Anderson and this is episode 271-271. And during 2023, we're departing from our usual podcast format to bring you the audio version of my most recent book, Bird of Paradise, subtitle Taming the Unconscious to Bring Your Dreams to Fruition. And today's episode is part six of the 10-part series. Each episode is standalone, but you will get maximum enjoyment if you begin with part one, which is episode 266. If you love the guest format, don't worry, it will return in late November 2023, when we've delivered all 10 episodes of Bird of Paradise. And remember, you can go back through every single episode of The Dream Show all the way back to our first episode in 2009 and listen to my conversations with our guests as we explore their dreams. All of that at janeteresa.com. That's Teresa without an H. Publishing the audio version of Bird of Paradise through the podcast means that there's no fee for you. But if you'd like to express your appreciation and enjoyment, I'd like to encourage you to buy the paperback version for yourself or as a gift for a friend or two. Thank you. If you've missed the previous episodes of Bird of Paradise, here's a quote from the back cover to give you an idea of what's in store as you listen. Bird of Paradise is an inspirational guide to finding your calling and navigating your life using dreams, mysteries and alchemy. It's part whimsical whimsical memoir, part healing balm and part alchemical guide and it delivers my down-to-earth tools and techniques for decoding dreams and synchronicities as well as my unique signature alchemy practices that enable you to flow and grow with life's challenges paradoxes and mysteries. So here we go, part six. Forget me not, Myosotis, but you're usually so calm and cool for root canal, drilling and filling, said my dentist. Why so anxious this time? Childhood memories run deep, I said, turn up the gas. Hole in the road. Michael and I were out driving one day when we slowed down to pass some construction work. Orange witch's hats marked off a hole in the centre of the road. Intrepid road workers were jackhammering their way, waist deep in rubble, ear deep in mind-numbing noise. You know, Michael began, whenever we passed construction as kids, Dad would always sing, There was I, a dig in this hole. All in the ground, sort of big and sort of round. And, he said, I would never, I would vow never to be as predictable and repetitive when I grew up. And you've succeeded, I replied. I've never heard you burst into song. And we've passed plenty of construction on our road in life together. Well, yes and no, Michael cringed. I may not sing, but I've never passed any road construction without hearing my father's voice striking up from the back of my mind. There was I, a digging this hole. He just won't go away. We can laugh about these perpetual voices that echo from our past. All the while we're aware of them, we can shrug our shoulders and smile. 
We can drive on past the hole in the road without bursting into song. Talk to our children without old-fashioned admonishment and be assertive without fear of the school bully hurting us. But what about the echoes we are not aware of? How can you become conscious of the holes you're currently blind to? For example, you may have forgotten the day when the other kids in your street were given money to buy ice cream from the ice cream truck, but your mother didn't have the change. She told you, money doesn't grow on trees. Speaking without thinking, her own mother's echoing words, which were also her grandmother's. She didn't realise you were the only kid on the street to miss out. And she certainly didn't know the others taunted you about it for weeks afterward. As a five-year-old, you felt deeply hurt by the other kids and by your mother. You mistakenly learned that money was available to other people, but not to you. When a deep feeling is associated with the belief, and remember that children's feelings are all big, the belief is all the more strongly anchored. The child, in this example, grew up and forgot the incident, but his unconscious mind remembered and dug a huge hole in the road. As an adult, he wondered why he encountered difficulties with self-esteem and self-value. He didn't know that his unconscious mind had established a belief pattern that he was less worthy of reward than others were. The problem is that the unconscious mind is far more powerful than the conscious mind. So its blueprint wins over the ideals, thoughts and goals of the conscious mind. Those plans you have that seem to keep misfiring are most likely overpowered by your unconscious beliefs in holes in the road and other perceived pitfalls and dangers. Your unconscious mind will sabotage realisation of your plans to save you from such fates. The solution? Well, change the blueprint. This is easily done once you can interpret your dreams. As we have learned, various techniques, dream alchemy practices, use the symbols of your unique dreams to change your unconscious blueprint. Think of the process as mending the holes in the road so that you can make smoother and faster progress. You can't remove a hole. The way to mend it is to fill it in. You can't simply remove an unconscious belief. You need to fill the hole it occupied with a new, more appropriate belief. Again, dream alchemy practices are designed to do this. But first, dream alchemy encourages you to look deep into that hole that your dreams have revealed, for the best gems and treasures are discovered by mining deep into the earth, deep into the self, Let your dreams enable you to build a smooth road forward, splendidly lit by diamonds gathered from the deepest pitfalls that once lined your route. Why dig up the past? Why dig up the past? Isn't that what you choose to do when you explore your unconscious mind through your dreams? 
It's a common perception that the unconscious mind is a, a minefield of explosive, repressed emotions and bad memories buried in a vault of trash and long-discarded mental clutter. While you may think of your unconscious mind as a dark reservoir of things past and best forgotten, it constantly asserts its presence in your daily life. It's also a potent avenue that can connect you with a greater sense of meaning in your future. In this, it's a treasure trove, a gold mine. Surely it's worth getting to know and befriending this powerful energy. I once dreamed that I saw a rat emerging from the ground. At first it was a little scared, but as I watched, I saw that it wasn't a rat, it was a small dog. And as I watched the small dog grow bigger, I saw that it wasn't a dog, it was a small horse. As I watched the small horse grow bigger, I saw that it was a two-headed animal, a horse dog with a horse head and, at a slight angle, a dog head. I felt sad for the horse dog because it didn't know which way to turn, which head to follow. When I worked with my dream, I realised that I saw dogs as unquestioningly loyal and horses as vibrantly passionate. At the time of my dream, this made sense of some confusion I had been feeling about the direction I should take a certain project. I was torn between my loyalty to systems that had worked for me in the past, but that seemed to have lost momentum, and my passion to give vibrancy and life to the project by embracing new systems. I had been conscious of this confusion over which direction I should go, but not conscious of the underlying dynamics. My dream revealed what my unconscious mind knew, that I was torn between two directions for fear of being a rat, disloyal to what I had served me well in the past, but which was no longer serving me in the present. Rather than dig up a scary rat from my unconscious mind, I had dug up a gift in the form of insight into my reasonable confusion and a choice. I applied dream alchemy to align the two heads into one so that I could look ahead with the best of both worlds. In this, I was able to make decisions that were loyal to the life and vibrancy of the project and the good things that would grow from that. With the two heads combined and focused in the same direction, I, and the project, found the momentum required to move it forward. Interpreting your dreams and working with them through dream alchemy may mean discovering the scary stuff, the rats or dark shadows, that lead you to the light, or it may mean mining gold directly. Many dreams show you talents you've buried, latent gifts you've yet to discover, life lessons you've failed to recognise, lost puzzle pieces you've been searching for, or new ways of seeing the world. They may also show you depths of wisdom and intuition you've overlooked, a sense of meaningful purpose awaiting your connection, and a whole host of other treasures that might slumber on unless you're ready to bring them into consciousness 
by awakening to your dreams. Rear view mirror. This was a dream I had. The past is an illusion glimpsed in a misty rear view mirror offered the shaman in my dream. Pass your hand over the mirror, clear it all away. He was a magnificent being with polished mahogany Caribbean skin, long dark hair as a backdrop to thick glossy silver white curls that framed his face and tumbled down to his waist. He was a modern shaman, offering a a car metaphor rather than a story from nature. The dream he appeared in was long and complex and I spent time working on it at every level but I thought the rear view mirror metaphor was one you might enjoy exploring with me. I'm sure you might agree that our individual memories of the past are somewhat misty. They are typically cobbled together from highlights and lowlights, tinged with emotion, missing huge key chunks of content, reimagined over time and or influenced by hindsight. In these ways, the the past is an illusion, a shifting personal reminiscence, rather than a catalogue based entirely on fact. In my dream, when the shaman suggested passing my hand over the mirror to clear it all away, he meant clear away the past completely because it's an illusion. He also meant I should focus on the present. In the dream, I had the sensation of something being cleared from my mind. Then I settled down on the floor to rest. On waking, I pondered the various options the metaphor offered. When you clear away the mist on the rearview mirror, you also have the option of seeing the past, what's behind you, more clearly. What you see about the past may may still be illusory, but perhaps closer to the truth. You might gain clarity, and in gaining clarity you might find that the memory or event no longer holds as much sway on the present. Or, in gaining clarity you might find the clearer memory pivotal in changing your perspective of the present and your way of being in the world. When you're driving a car, you need to look in the rearview mirror from time to time to be aware of what's behind you and at specific times, such as changing lanes, when it's critical to know what's behind you. More than this, the rearview mirror keeps you in touch with what's coming up from behind and perhaps about to overtake you. Or it influences your driving choices in some other way. Revisiting the metaphor, perhaps we need to clear that misty rearview mirror so that we can see what may be coming up from our past and how it may be influencing the way we drive our lives in the present. Extend the metaphor further and consider how valuable it might be to see which aspects of the past, the actual past, or our illusory memories of it, still influence our choices about our future direction. My dreaming mind chose a modern-day shaman to express a point of view about how the past influences the present. 
Since everyone and everything in the dream can be seen as representing something about the dreamer, perhaps the modern-day shaman is an aspect of my work as a dream therapist and dream alchemist. It may also represent a, a delving down into the deepest wisdom of the universe, which I can access from where I stand today. All that said, it's important never to take the utterings of a dream character as gospel. What any dream character says or does in a dream is simply reflective of one of the many aspects of yourself and your understanding of the world. So acknowledge them for what they reveal about your many complex layers and treasure all dream utterings as offerings to contemplate or meditate upon as you decide on what wisdom to take away. Let's move the rear view metaphor into modern day dream therapy and dream alchemy as I practice and teach it. When you analyse a dream, you get to see your mindset, your conscious and unconscious beliefs, attitudes, emotions, perspectives, patterns of behaviour, as it is today. And this mindset is built on your, your past conscious and unconscious experiences, poised to take you through the present and into the future, give or take nightly updates and changes as reflected in your dreams. This insight is invaluable. Knowing your unconscious mindset helps you to understand why your life is the way it is and offers clues about how your future will turn out. You can step in and make changes that influence your present and future in positive ways through a mixture of conscious awareness, dream therapy and dream alchemy. In dream therapy, you discover how your past influences your present, whether that past is largely your illusion or somewhat closer to the truth. You clear that misty rearview mirror to see those past influences with more clarity. Then you can decide whether to reprogram those influences into more positive ones through dream alchemy or to augment them if they're already wonderful or to let them go altogether if they no longer serve you. The power of taste. Maybe I should open a patisserie. Here's a dream I had. I tasted the most delicious concoction of a cake in a dream. Architecturally, it was standout. A creamy white abstract puff atop a stack of four dried figs. I passed the cake around for everyone to taste. On closer examination, I noticed the figs weren't figs after all. They were biscuits shaped like figs. Now Freud might have taken a sexual approach to interpreting my dream. A creamy puff atop a phallic stack and figs too. Contemplating my dream the next day, I closed my eyes and imagined biting into the cake just as I had done in the dream. I wanted to connect with the taste. I waited a few seconds. Nothing. I persevered. I believed. I knew that if I had tasted it in my dream, I could access the sensation again. And suddenly, there it was, 
carnation evaporated milk, quickly followed by a vision of my favourite childhood biscuits, which were fig rolls. My dream symbol began to make sense. Puddings, as desserts were known in our family when I was a small child, were sometimes served with carnation evaporated milk. The can was placed on the table, two holes punched in the top, and if we were good, we were allowed to pour an extra spoonful and, the best part, drink it straight from the spoon. Not two spoonfuls though, just one. When I grow up and have my own house, I remember saying on one such occasion, I'm going to have a cupboard full of carnation evaporated milk and drink whole cans whenever I want and I'm going to have lots of packets of fig rolls and eat as many as I want. Fig rolls were a very rare treat in our household. Whenever we visited relatives, mum would remind us of biscuit etiquette just before we entered her house. One fancy and two plain, she would tell us. Our relatives would look quite astounded when they passed the plate a second time and we selected two plain tea biscuits each, despite their encouragement to have another chocolate digestive or custard cream. We understood about the cost of fancy biscuits, about being polite and about being healthy, but when our cousins, subject to different family rules, happily plundered the fancies, it niggled. It more than niggled, when there were fig rolls on the plate. In my dream, (laughs) I had more than a measured spoonful of carnation evaporated milk whipped into my cake and not one, but four fancy fig biscuits. I shared my cake and still I had more. I was able to look at the rest of my dream and understand the cake symbol in context. I had broken through conditioned limitations from childhood and was free to enjoy my own abundant choices. When a dream symbol presents you with a taste, smell, texture, or unusual sound or colour, close your eyes and invite the dream sensation to return. Memories are often filed away with associated smells, tastes, and other sensory details. So, Reconnecting with the dream sensation can unlock those associated memories and throw light on the meaning of your dream symbol. Thanks to a taste sensation, I now understand my dream. As an aside, (laughs) my tastes have changed and there are no cans of evaporated milk or packets of fig biscuits in my cupboard. I don't fancy them at all. But wait a minute, at the time of this dream... I included dried figs and a dollop or three of creamy yoghurt on my morning muesli. So I guess I have lived happily after, ever after all. (laughs) So I guess I have lived happily ever after all, I should have said. Extracting Wisdom It was 2009 and I had just had a tooth extracted, a back molar that was beyond repair, broken beyond repair. It was a big deal, I thought, my first extraction since childhood. I know dentistry has come a long way in the last 40 to 50 years, but painful memories can loom large. 
But you're usually so calm and cool for root canal drilling and filling, said my dentist. Why so anxious this time? Childhood memories run deep, I said. Turn up the gas. I've already touched on my childhood experience with my dentist in this book, but need to reiterate it again here as part of a larger story. I have my plier-wielding childhood dentist to thank for my usual calm. Back then, I remember telling myself, as the early 1960s drill plundered into my milk-white tooth, that the pain was nothing compared to being eaten by a lion or having my legs sawn off without anaesthetic in a jungle. It worked. Instant calm. That old dentist even taught me a bit about dreams and reality when he knocked me out with gas to remove a particularly painful tooth. I had a kind of lucid dream. I was tracing a maze, the kind you get in kids' puzzle books, and every time the dental assistant lifted one of my eyelids to check the anaesthesia, the dentist's face appeared in my maze. I was out and not out, dreaming and awake, listening to the conversation, the crack and snap of my tooth being lifted out of its swollen socket. So as an adult undergoing a similar procedure, I was surprised to feel so anxious about this back molar extraction. Of course the tooth was extracted painlessly. It was days later that something really strange happened. I remembered a story I had told many times throughout my life, but had somehow mysteriously forgotten since agreeing to have this extraction. When I was 20, I'd had a wisdom tooth removed. The dentist cursed. My tooth had a long, hooked root. Too much blood spurted in front of my eyes, and apologies were made for not booking me into a dental hospital for a full anaesthetic. No wonder I was anxious this time round. No matter how wisely my unconscious mind tried to claim that memory, to tuck it away for just the amount of time it took to get me into and out of that dentist's chair, it still made itself felt as a niggling anxiety. Still, I'm doing pretty well, considering that I'm running on 75% wisdom, according to my dental chart. Next chapter, Moonflower, Ipomia Alba. Asleep and dreaming, we are outrageously creative. Our challenge is to courageously bring more of our magnificence into the light of day and let it shine. Blinded by the light. It's that time of year here in Australia. It's midwinter. The air is clear and dry and the sunlight is blinding. There's no summer humidity to water down the glare and the widening hole in the ozone layer down at this end of the globe doesn't help. I need a new pair of sunglasses. Which would you prefer? Looking into a glaring bright bright light or into a deeply dark cave. You cannot keep staring into a bright light. Your reflexes kick in to close your eyes before further damage occurs. If you are forced to look into the light for too long, temporary blindness and perhaps long-term damage will result. Either way, you will not be able to see clearly, if at all. What a paradox. So much light, yet nothing to be seen. If you keep staring into the dark cave, 
what will happen. If you can push through the fear and stay focused, you may begin to see faint shafts of light penetrating through hidden fissures and cracks in the cave walls. You may catch glimpses of movement, shadowy forms scuttling, lizard-like. The more you focus, the more you may see that, yes, these really are lizards. Your eyes adjust and you discover that there are shades of darkness revealing various shapes and forms. Consider the sun and the moon. During the day, sunlight is, is so bright, even on a rainy English day, that it blinds us to starlight. Stars don't slip away during the day, they shine on, but their subtle light is eclipsed by the light of the sun. It is when you look into the darkness of the night sky that you can study the mysteries of the changing cosmos. How much light do you need to get the best picture? It's all about balance and your point of view. Turn your back on the glaring sun and what do you see? Your own shadow, as well as shadows cast by other objects bathed in the same brilliant light. Your shadow may be outrageously distorted, but it is your shadow. As such, it does inform you of important parameters, such as how many arms and legs you have, <laughs> and how your size compares with other shadows around you. And so we move into dreams where the preamble to the story will slowly make sense. Stay with me, let your eyes adjust to the dream world and be ready to see the mysteries of your inner universe more clearly in dream light, in starlight, away from the glare of the stark light that blinds. In a dream... Dolores dreamed she was watching a horse race. She followed the winning horse to the stable, keen to know the key to its success. She was surprised to find the horse weeping. He looked deeply into her eyes and told her the key to success was deep pain. He turned and revealed an ancient festering wound in his flank and a hole where his heart had been ripped from his body long ago. Seven years without a heart, the horse confided. Dolores was shocked. On walking, Dolores couldn't shake the image of the horse and the ripped, heartless hole. It stayed with her all day, distracting her from work. Slowly, the pieces began to fall into place. She had been in her job for seven years, following the painful breakup of her marriage. She loved the job. It kept her busy, far too busy to notice the pain. In fact, now that she thought more about it, her successes were due to the pain. The more the pain threatened to surface, the harder she worked and the more successful she became. Why hadn't she been able to see this before? She was mystified it was now so clear. Heartless, a voice whispered from the periphery of her mind. You've become heartless. You're cold. You've left us behind. You don't care, the voice continued. And Dolores wept, 
for these had been the words of her friends. They had tried to tell her this, but she couldn't relate to what they were saying. She had thought they were rude and unsupportive, perhaps even envious of her success. She had flicked them off, the words and the friends. Dolores's dream had shocked her into getting in touch with her pain. With this came festering anger over the way her heart had been ripped and hurt. Her dream delivered the strong message that she could not survive much longer under these conditions. It was time to stop shutting out the pain, to end her heartless pursuit of success, to recognise the heat of her anger and heal it rather than freeze it out. The dream and Dolores's friends both delivered the same message, but only the dream message got through. Why? Dolores's friends had told her straight, too straight. The truth was too close to home, too painful, and so her defences had kicked in. She found the light too blinding. She denied any truth in it because she couldn't see it, couldn't feel it. Her dream was subtle, drawing her to feel the pain of the horse since she was blind to the pain within herself. Once the connection had been made, Dolores was able to see the light. People often ask, why aren't our dreams literal? If the message we need to hear is so important, why don't our dreams spell it out in a language we can understand? The answer? Dreams can help us to see, in shades of night light, what is too painful for us to see or acknowledge in blinding daylight. Like your shadow, when you stand with your back to the sun, your dreams may be outrageously distorted, but their special effect is to draw your attention to yourself. It is only when you look into the darkness of your dreams that you are free to study the mysteries of your changing persona. What's in a face? This was a dream I once had. Half boy, half beast. He sat on the edge of a swimming pool in a dream I had once upon a time. His body seemed stunted, his face albino white, a long wide nose, no eyes. I was very wary of him, for I wasn't sure how he'd respond to me. If I were to write about my top 10 tips for interpreting dreams, I'd include everything and everyone in a dream represents something about the dreamer. I've said that before in this book, but it bears repeating here. It's a nice, neat statement, but pretty scary when you dream about a murderer, a rapist, or someone you really don't like, or a boy beast. I will reveal the boy beast, but let's begin with the murderer. Dreaming of a murderer does not mean that you have murderous intent. There is no one-size-fits-all interpretation in dream analysis, but a starting point is to look at who the dream character is murdering or has murdered. In this way, you can get a feel for what kind of energy the murderer wants to quash. Then ask yourself where a similar battle is going on within you. You can also contemplate your dream murderer. 
Look at how he acts. Examine his face, his body language, and gather clues from this symbol your dreaming mind has created to represent something about you and your beliefs about life. You can also, when you're awake, question him by engaging with him in dialogue. Perhaps imagine your dream murderer speaking with a person he has killed or wants to kill. Find out where he's coming from. Your unconscious mind will drop clues into the dialogue. But let's scale it back down a bit. Let's look at the boy beast I once met in the dream. To refresh, here's the dream again. Half boy, half beast. He sat on the edge of a swimming pool in a dream I had once upon a time. His body seemed stunted, his face albino white, a long white nose, no eyes. I was very wary of him, for I wasn't sure how he'd respond to me. I, w- I was as wary on waking as I had been in the dream. What did this strange creature represent about me? And did I really want to know? My first instinct was to let it go, but my more intelligent self knew that there'd be much to gain from discovering something new about myself. I thought about his face and wondered what it was about his long, wide nose that seemed important. The answer appeared in my mind immediately. He relied on his instinct to smell danger and respond. Just as quickly, I realised that's why he didn't have eyes. He represented blind instinct, my blind animal instinct. He was albino white because my dreaming mind saw him as having just emerged from the pool, from the darkness of my unconscious, into the light of day, with no time yet to have gained a suntan. When I looked back over the events of the past two days, I realised I had become newly aware of responding in a particular situation with blind instinct, and this was stunting my growth. The details of the rest of the dream painted the whole picture. I wonder who first coined the term blind instinct to describe an innate or perhaps also learned response to a situation that bypasses conscious awareness, at least in the moment it occurs. We respond without seeing, without an eye to consequence, driven by an urge to survive. We share these base instincts with animals, to bare our teeth and growl in defence, to run and hide to save our skins, to feather our nests to provide for our young, to roll over and play dead, to bite back. All of these responses are genetically programmed to keep us safe and protect our species. And yet the more we are aware of our instincts, the more we can take a moment, breathe, open our eyes, reflect and choose better ways of responding. There's been a lot of controversy over the last century or so about the nature of instinct. How much is innate versus how much is acquired in early life? Dreams allow us to discover our automatic, habitual, unconscious responses to life situations that we sense as life-threatening. Some of these responses we acquire in early life, building our behavioural survival skills with blind awareness. 
They may manifest in such, such actions as appeasing an angry parent, undermining a sibling to gain attention, getting sick to be cared for, throwing a tantrum to get what we want, sacrificing our needs to be protected, and or looking the other way in order to be loved. You have such a cool job, someone said to me recently, and it's true. I'm constantly in awe of the nature of our dreams and the life-changing insights they offer us when we are prepared to really look at them. And I'm constantly in awe of our dreaming minds that so easily come up with picture-perfect renditions of, for example, the face of blind instinct. Asleep and dreaming, we are outrageously creative. Our challenge is to courageously bring more of our magnificence into the light of day and let it shine. Yin-Yang Cats In a dream I once had, a large grey cat lounged on the couch, dozing, lazing, generally blissing out, when suddenly a small sprightly white cat leapt up from nowhere in vicious attack. She, for I think she was a she, dragged him, for I think he was a him, off the couch and they rolled across the floor, belly to belly, locked in blood-drawn combat and looking very much like a yin-yang symbol. It was at the point of recognising the yin-yang symbol that I woke up from my dream, feeling discomforted about the sudden attack but as curious as a cat with nine lives about the symbol. It was easy for me to relate to the large grey cat, for I had recently determined to take several days off work and had been enjoying lounging, dozing, lazing and generally blissing out. The labouring side of my work, perhaps the male side, the reasoning, the structuring, the business, the administrative paperwork, had been intense and had left me feeling rather brain-drained. Rest and recovery were required. That explains the gender of the grey cat and perhaps his size. Reclining on the couch, he was a very happy cat, soaking up rest, stretching out in delight at simply being. A few days into my rest, I was beginning to feel my energy return, which encouraged creative sparks of fire here and there in my brain. An idea for a book, two ideas for a blog, and various creative home projects bubbled up for consideration. It was very tempting to get off the couch and start creating, <laughs> but I knew I needed more downtime to fully restore myself. I turned my attention back to my dream. Why was the cat in my dream grey? When I dialogued with it, I discovered he was really black as night. Night, as we know, is a time for resting and dreaming. The grey indicated that some light was showing through, which was an indication of recovery, of the renewal and energy that morning brings. But the cat still needed time out. He remained, essentially, in black cat mode. In my dream, conflict ensued. There was an energy in the shape of a small, sprightly white female cat that sprang from nowhere to attack the grey cat. Now, 
Now that we know something about the grey cat, we can see that this energetic little bundle represented my female side, the creative, holistic, big picture perspective, awake to the inner world. She was the creative spark I was beginning to feel after my several days of rest. Clearly she was feeling vicious about being denied in favour of more days spent on the couch, especially after having been kept in check for several weeks as I employed the male side of my brain in the necessary phase of my work. My reasoning male side said, recover fully, re-energise completely, while my creative female side screamed, no, get off that couch. My dream cats reflected the inner conflict I was feeling at the time. I'm here to tell you that Mr. Reasoning Grey Cat by virtue of his greater size, ruled the following days until Miss Sparky White Cat grew to such proportion that my fingers hit the keyboard and the new creative projects began, all the better for the rest. Mr. Reasoning Grey Cat emerged from hibernation much lighter in size and colour. The last time I envisaged them, the two cats were much the same size, nestled together, belly to belly, in perfect yin-yang balance. But I have to tell you, I used a little magic to regain that balance between yin and yang. Many dreams highlight our inner conflicts. So the next step after identifying an inner conflict is to explore the rest of the dream until you understand the origins of the conflict and why the conflict is currently unresolved. Suitably enlightened, you may then choose to do some dream alchemy to persuade your unconscious mind to resolve the powerfully unconscious aspects of the conflict. In my case, I chose to visualise the two combative cats as a yin-yang symbol, which then morphed into a peaceful, mutually supportive yin-yang embrace, resizing the cats to bring them into perfect balance. There are other elements you may need to bring in to perform dream alchemy, but this suffices to illustrate the point. My unconscious mind reciprocated and everything naturally unfolded peacefully from there. Peacefully from there. As I'm sure you know already, if you look closely at a yin-yang symbol and see it as two tadpoles or two fish, you'll notice that the black one has a white eye and the white one has a black eye. At their head ends, where their energies are at their full extreme, each nestles a speck of the other. At the tail end, the black one's tail gets thinner and thinner until it gives away to the white head of the other, and vice versa. Yin and Yang stay in perfect balance by each yielding to the other at their extreme, maintaining equilibrium in size and shape. When you're out of whack, out of balance, your dreams can alert you to the subtleties of your inner conflicts. And dream alchemy can assist in resolving those conflicts to smooth the way for transformation on all levels. The Princess and the Pea What's the moral of the story of the princess and the pea? I've been putting people on the spot with this question and I've received many different replies. Before reading on, if you remember the story, 
Give yourself a few moments and jot down the moral that you've always taken from this tale. Need a memory jogger? In this Hans Christian Andersen fable, first published in 1835, a prince searches the kingdom for a real princess to marry. He meets plenty of princesses, but each has a fault. So he returns to the castle alone. One night, during a storm, a girl knocks at the castle door and is greeted by the prince's mother, the queen. The girl is wet and bedraggled, yet claims to be a princess. The queen decides to test this by giving her a bed for the night, 20 mattresses high, topped with 20 feather beds. Beneath all those mattresses and feathers, the queen places a pea. The next morning, when asked how she had slept, the princess replied that she had had a terrible night and had hardly slept because the bed was so uncomfortable due to something hard that had left her skin bruised. The queen rejoiced because only a real princess would feel the pea through all those mattresses. Of course, the prince and princess married and lived happily ever after. So, (laughs) what's the moral of the story? If you haven't written one down, do so now. And if you had written one down, you, if you now have a new thought about the moral of this tale, write that down before moving on, reading on. I've been thinking about this since I went to Vashti Sita Barsley Brisbane exhibition of her handcrafted jewellery, which was inspired by the theme of the hero's journey. Here I bought a brooch that depicted the dilemma contained in the story, The Princess and the Pea. As a child, and as a mother reading the story to my own children, I thought the princess was very rude to mention her discomfort. Yet at the same time, I realised that if she'd kept her discomfort to herself, she wouldn't have married the prince and lived happily ever after. I wanted to take in what other people thought about this, so I began to solicit opinions from friends and family. Views I collected as I asked around included that princesses are picky and rude, that it's not good to be hypersensitive, that one's true nature always shows through, that we shouldn't judge a person by appearances, and that's just for starters. I realised that my view had shifted since early motherhood and for me, the story is about authenticity. The P, given the bed and sleep theme, can be likened to dreams that help us to recognise uncomfortable or painful issues that we need to acknowledge and heal to live happily ever after. If we deny uncomfortable issues, turn our backs on our dreams and pretend it all is well, We never get to experience, and here we slide into another Hans Christian Andersen tale, the joyful transformation from feeling like we are an ugly duckling to knowing that we are a beautiful swan. It is said that Hans Christian Andersen, when asked to write his autobiography, replied that it had already been written as the ugly duckling. He struggled through his life with issues of authenticity and belonging. I wonder what he would tell us today about the moral of the princess and the pea. Bodywork and dreams. 
When was the last time you had a good, deep foot, neck, shoulder or back massage? If you closed your eyes and surrendered to the process, what feelings came up for you? Were you able to name those feelings? Relief? Grief? Foreboding? Panic? Bliss? Vulnerability? Or did you notice tears flowing but find yourself unable to say why? When painful knots were found and massaged, did you see any images or symbols or experience dreamlike visions? What did you dream that night or the next night? Our muscles and tissues can hold our painful emotions and associated memories in what is often an unconscious attempt to protect ourselves from being hurt in the same way again. Imagine gripping the ground with your toes in an effort to stand your ground, to not budge, to stay put for fear of letting go because perhaps in the past you surrendered and let go and that proved to be a painful experience. Or maybe you learned this fear from your parents or guardians or the culture into which you were born. Imagine those toes never really relaxing, never really letting go, even when you were sitting down or sleeping. You don't let go partly because you're on alert for whatever else is happening and partly because your muscles have forgotten how to stretch or have stiffened and become limited in their range of motion. Now, what happens when that massage therapist stretches out those muscles for you, cajoling them to release their hold? Perhaps you feel the fear of pa- or panic of letting go. Perhaps you feel the accumulated pain of holding on, of standing your ground, of victories won or opportunities lost. Perhaps you feel the vulnerability that you have kept under the lock and key of muscular tension for so long that you can't even name the strange feeling. Perhaps you feel foreboding, a sure knowledge of forthcoming danger. Or perhaps you feel relief, discovering that when you are made to let go, you find yourself safe. Or you find yourself as excited as you were as a one-year-old when you took your first steps into a whole new and wonderful way of being. Sometimes the massage is enough to move you forward, to release you into the discovery that it's safe to move beyond your previous limitations, that there is relief in letting go, in change. Sometimes the massage is enough for now, but you return to the status quo, to your comfort zone, to gripped toes and holding your ground, to fear of change. You do this because the unconscious beliefs you hold remain the same. And the unconscious painful emotions and memories those beliefs are built to protect you from are still in need of healing. This is where dreams enter the picture. When we experience highly charged emotions, our dreams can be extremely vivid and their contents extremely revealing and potentially healing. So, the dreams you have following the foot massage in this toe-gripping, ground-gripping example might find you comparing the released emotions you felt during your massage with similar situations in your life now. Or perhaps the released emotions pertain to an incident in your past, 
potentially reaching as far back as the original experience that bottled them up in the first place. Once analysed, for the dreams will be surreal and symbolic, such dreams can help you to understand why, in this example, you tend to grip, to stand your ground, to resist moving forward in wonderful, life-enhancing ways. Once you're aware of your pattern and you understand its genesis, you are on the road to healing. You may choose various healing modalities, but with the blessing of a dream to work with, dream alchemy would be a good choice, working deeply and directly with your unconscious mind. Now, toe gripping is just an example of how you may hold tension from the past. Foot massage may release all kinds of protected emotions and memories, as may massage of any part of the body. A person who is rather ungrounded, who lives in the head, who has a lot of ideas but can't make them happen, may find that a deep foot massage brings them back in touch with the emotions and memories they have been trying to flee. Their dreams may help them understand their disconnection and ready them for healing and grounding, for enabling them to put down roots, to manifest and to grow. Other forms of bodywork can feed your dreams in a similar way. They do this by actively or passively encouraging your body to move beyond the limitations it has habitually adopted in the name of protection from painful emotions or as a result of unconscious limiting beliefs acquired from your parents, guardians or society. Keep your dream journal handy following a massage or bodywork session and go to bed with the intention of recording your dreams to deepen your insights and open the way for healing and long-lasting positive change. Intention medicine. The thing about stepping out in a whole new way, or even taking micro steps as you tentatively test new ground, is that you can trust your dreams to give you the inside scoop on the tricky bits. Like why you might want to do something with all your heart but you're not taking action. Or why the simple steps you need to take to manifest your project have turned out to be too complicated or too hard. Or why too many little things seem to be getting in the way of what you want to do. Or why you don't feel you're getting the support you need from people close to you. Or why you're beginning to doubt your ability to live your intention or why you're suddenly really tired or unwell or anxious or confused and beginning to think that what you really need is a long rest, time out and clarity and or another piece of chocolate. Some intentions flow naturally into being. They feel like the obvious next steps to take and if you encounter no internal unconscious resistance, you'll take those steps with ease. But most intentions focus on change that's more challenging in nature. Consciously, the prospect of that change excites you and energizes you, but unconscious resistance to moving beyond your comfort zone has the strongest sway. It evokes fear, doubt, and a whole platter of negative beliefs designed to keep you safe in unknown territory.
Its ace card is to take the wind out of your sails. Intentions are good medicine. It's healing to identify what you'd like to change about your life. It feels good to acknowledge that the old way isn't working for you or isn't working as well as you'd like it to or that you feel a chapter has ended and it's time to begin a new one. Living a good intention is even better medicine. But the best medicine of all is to be found in the dreams that visit you when you're on that tricky bit of the path. You know the place. You've set the intention but are not yet living it. You're in that in-between spot and you need a little help to move forward. How can your dreams inform you and how can they help you to bring your intentions to fruition? The job of your dreaming mind is to update your perspective on life, to find solutions to problems, to resolve issues, to process new ideas and new experiences, to consolidate new learning, to process emotions, and to keep you safe. But there is an inbuilt limitation. It's your dreaming mind that does all of this. It checks in on itself, checks in on your past experiences, memories, emotions and beliefs, how you think the world works. Not only that, it checks in on your unconscious mind as well as your conscious mind. So while its job might be to solve a problem you're experiencing, unless there's life-changing new input, it can only work at resolving the problem with the tools it's got. And these tools are your mindset and your unconscious beliefs and emotions. Again, a major role of dreaming is to keep you safe, but safe according to your past experiences. Any new challenge will be scanned for risk, but scanned by your mindset, your unconscious beliefs and emotions. If your intention is to speak up for yourself, your dreaming mind is going to scan your unconscious resistance to speaking up. Maybe you will discover fear um, due to what happened when you spoke up as a child or doubt due to how you felt about yourself at school and so on. Your dreaming mind tries to keep you safe from another dose of what you experienced as a child or at school and it will reinforce your unconscious resistance to your intention. This is why you generally inhabit your comfort zones and are afraid to step out of them. You don't understand that you're living a false sense of safety that may no longer be appropriate or helpful in your adult world. But this false sense of safety may be limiting your growth. If you're feeling resistance to your intention, if it's not flowing the way you had imagined, look to your dreams. When you can understand and interpret your dreams, you can understand your mindset and identify the unconscious beliefs and emotions that are keeping you from flowing with your intention. Now that's good medicine. Let's call it intention medicine. It's administered by looking at your dreams and applying dream alchemy techniques to heal and transform what needs to be healed and transformed so that you may fully talk your talk, walk your walk, and live your true intention. And that's the end of part six.
of Bird of Paradise. I think that's also one of the longest episodes. I think the upcoming ones are much shorter. Thank you for listening to part six of Bird of Paradise. The next instalment, part seven, will be released as episode 272, which is due out on the 10th of August 2023, if you're listening to this in real time. Remember, you can buy the paperback or digital version of Bird of Paradise wherever you usually buy your books or look under Books on the menu on my website at janetheresa.com. That's Teresa without an H. janetheresa.com is also where you can go to discover my other books and courses as well as to consult me privately. And janetheresa.com is also where you can go to listen back through all previous episodes of The Dream Show. If you're keen to listen to guests exploring their dreams with me, go to episode 265 and work back from there. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of The Dream Show. I'm Jane Teresa Anderson. <laughs>